Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh, gracious and merciful God, we praise you. You alone, Lord, are God, and there is none beside you. Great is your faithfulness, and your steadfast love endures forever. All of creation sings your praises. We ask, Lord, that you hear our prayers today. Forgive us for how we often forget your words and your promises, but encourage us to remember what you speak over us, Lord. We rejoice in your faithfulness. We thank you for your forgiveness of sin and your promise to sanctify us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for continuing to build your kingdom, and we pray, Lord, that your kingdom comes on earth and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we rejoice this morning at the baptism of Lauren and Maddox, and we pray that you continue to grow their faith in you. May we as the body encourage and help train them in your way and pray for them and lift them up, Lord. We pray for Siobhan and Aaron to continue raising them in a godly home. Give them wisdom and, and uh, knowledge and patience. May their baptisms remind us of our own. And we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. Lord, we ask for your mercy on the sick in our congregation. Help us as a body to reach out to those in need. We have so many struggling with so many different things right now, Lord, and Pray that you would encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak through us. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning as the word is proclaimed that you would move in a, in a mighty way. We ask, Lord, if there are any here who are lost, that you would save them by your grace. Lord, if there are any who are brokenhearted, that you would bind up their broken hearts. We ask that you would give ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus, may you be exalted highly this morning, our God and our King, for it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Kiddos, you are released. The rest of you, if you're not already there, turn to Genesis. We're actually going to be in Genesis 1 through 3. We're doing a very... Uh, big flyover. We're not getting down too deep in the deep ta- details. We've spent the last two and a half years, I think, uh, covering the book of Luke in depth. We're going to be heading into Acts next, or Luke part two. Um, I'm excited about that, but I wanted to take some time to cover the kingdom of God. And you might be wondering, why are we covering the kingdom of God? Why not just jump right into the book of Acts? Well, I have four reasons for you. I'm glad you asked. First, the Bible begins and ends with the kingdom of God. It is there in the beginning. We're going to see that. And the, the pattern of the kingdom of God is, is very clearly seen in Genesis 1 through 3. And we saw in Luke that Jesus says the kingdom is, is here 
and the kingdom is growing. And then we're going to, well, we're not going to, but if you get to the end of the Bible, if you read in Revelation, uh, you'll see that Jesus consummates his kingdom, so he, he brings it to completion. So uh, the whole Bible's wrapped up into the kingdom of God. So the whole Bible, if it's wrapped up into the kingdom of God, I think it's very necessary we understand the kingdom of God. Secondly, the book of Acts begins and ends with the kingdom of God. We see in Acts 1-3, he presented himself, that's Jesus, presented himself alive to them after he suffered many, uh, suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then the, it ends with They were proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So to truly understand the book of Acts, we need to understand what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? What is he talking about? What what would the readers think about? We need to grapple through that idea. Thirdly, Jesus says in uh, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Which is right after him telling us, uh, when he's teaching us to pray, uh, you should pray, um, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Which is smack dab in the middle of a, one of the few recorded sermons of Jesus when he's talking about what it looks like to live as kingdom people. So if one of the few recorded sermons of Jesus exalts the kingdom of God and he says, seek first the kingdom of God, I think we ought to pay attention to what that means for us today. And then finally, Jesus himself makes proclaiming the kingdom of God his, one of his top priorities that we saw in Luke 4, 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving because he kept healing. And, and they wanted him to stay and they wanted him to keep healing. And he says, no, I, that is not the reason I came. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he goes and preaches the kingdom. And we saw that in Luke. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the kingdom. Because Jesus spent three years. We could go for the next three years, I guess. But um, he spent three years talking about the kingdom of God. So we'll look at the beginnings of the kingdom of God today. And the redemption of the kingdom of God And then the community of the kingdom of God and then the mission of the kingdom of God. And this morning we'll see that the pattern of the kingdom of God, which is going to echo all throughout scripture, is established in the creation story. That's why we're in Genesis 1 through 3. Because in the creation story we're introduced to the king. We're introduced to the king's people. We're introduced to the place of the kingdom. We're introduced to the rule of the kingdom. And then how it all goes awry. So first we're going to look at the king. The king is identified. If you want to, um, I want you to, be in Genesis 1-1. We begin by seeing the eternality of the king in the beginning. In the beginning. We're taken back to the start 
We're taking back to the, the very beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of time. And what we see is the king, he's already there. In verse 2, the spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. He's been there. He's, he's there before of all of creation. And he's identified as in the beginning God. In our English Bibles, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means ruler, which means judge, gods, God, goddess, divine being, divine one, angels, kings. So you see that that's not his actual name, it's his title. This broad name or this broad title is, is showing us that he's one of high status. Ultimately communicating that he's divine and he's the king. And as we read further, we see that Elohim is defined or identified as Yahweh. If you look, flip over one page to Genesis 2 and look at verse 7, just real quickly, I want to point out in your English Bible, we see, then the Lord in all capital. That is identifying his name as Yahweh. Um, they're not just yelling Lord when you see that in all capitals. That's identifying the specific name of God, Yahweh. This is the name that he gives to Moses when he tells Moses, go tell my people. Uh, he says to Moses, I am who I am. Moses, well, what am I supposed to tell them your name is? And he says, I am who I am, which is Yahweh. He said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, you see, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I shall be remembered through all generations. We see a little bit later in Exodus 6, this is only made known, he's only made known as Yahweh to the Hebrew people. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob and God Almighty, as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord Yahweh, I did not make known myself known to them. The reason I point this out, the reason we see this right in the beginning and don't hear about it until Exodus, is, is God is laying the groundwork of who the true God is. He's laying the foundation that the Hebrew God, Yahweh, is the true God. And he's saying, I'm going to, through my people, rebuild my kingdom, which is corrupt in Genesis 3. So as we travel through scripture, we see this creator king, Yahweh. He's identified with the Father to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages. Paul's saying this is the reason um, I'm coming the mystery hidden in the ages in God who created all things. The king is also identified as the Holy Spirit. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see again in Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the ruach, which is uh, the spirit or the breath of his mouth, all their hosts were created. This king is identified as Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created all things, and he sustains all things. We also see the authority of this kingdom, or this king, excuse me, back in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Creating all things gives him authority over all things. All things in heaven and earth. And this should be similar, this should sound similar to you at least. We, we hear this, Jesus proclaims this in Matthew 28, 18. Uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So remember I said the pattern of the kingdom of God is being established right here in the beginning of the Bible. And Jesus Christ, the king, is bringing back together what is broken in Genesis 3. Israel, they needed to hear this. They needed to hear that Yahweh is the true God because they had just been in Egypt for 400 years where there's many gods. Many gods. And they needed to hear that this God, the true God, their God, is truly God over all things. But you and I also need to hear this today. Especially today. The gods of this world are not in complete control. They, the, Satan is not in complete control. The government is not in complete control. The Taliban is not in complete control. Yahweh, whom we serve, rules over all things. In times of chaos, in times of turmoil, I think we need to turn to Genesis 1-1 and just read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and remember who we serve. Have you forgotten that? And notice the power of the king, the power of the word of the king. We see over and over and over as he creates, and God said, verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, and God said, verse 11. You get the point. God spoke the world into being. He didn't need to gather material. He didn't need blueprints or he didn't need to call customer service. I'm always thinking of creation. Like he didn't need help with his Ikea furniture. He created, he spoke, and it came to pass. He said, let it happen, and it was so. And as he speaks, we see the power of his word. Each time he creates, he says, let it be, let it happen. It's not a request. He's like, if you feel like doing this, it's a command. Let it happen. Make it happen. And the early ancient person reading this, they would have understand he's speaking from the position of a king. Kings would say something, and they would, everyone else, those who were servants of the king, would make it happen. If they wanted something built, he would say, let it be done, and it was built. If he wanted your head, he would say, give me their head, and it was done. This is the picture we see in Genesis 1. God is saying, let it happen, and all responds. And all throughout scripture, we see the power of God's word displayed. We're going to see this over and over and over in Acts. We see, and the word of God continued to increase in Acts 6-7. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
12, 24, and the word of God increased and multiplied. 19, 20, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You see, God spoke creation into being, and by that same power that he speaks creation into being, he speaks faith into people's hearts, and they're turned from darkness into light. They're turned from dead to living. And he's growing his kingdom. He says, for God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness. So Paul's pushing us back to look at creation, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see the king in the beginning. We see who he is. We see his power. He's identified. Let's look at his people. The people of the kingdom are created in the image of God. Look at verse 26 in Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over livestock and over all earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, God created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Three ideas are being expressed here. First, it's the ancient idea of idols. You might think, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. The same word is used as images. Idols or images were made out of silver or gold or wood, and, and they represented various gods in this time. And they would go through this um, ritual where they were thought to be brought to life. And the Bible's very clear that these are not living that they are made out of stone, they're made out of gold, they're not truly living. They're not gods at all. But when God creates in his image, in his image, he forms man and woman and he breathes his life into them. And Adam becomes this living image who represents the king in all of his glory. That's the first one. Second, image represents kingship. Kings in the ancient times were said to have images of, or they were said to be the images of the gods, and they ruled on behalf of those gods. So the kingdom of God is ruled by God, but he creates little kings and queens to rule over his creation, to keep, to work and keep and expand his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Thirdly, the image of God communicates sonship. Sons and daughters of the true king were rulers as princes and princesses. That's a hard word to say. Kings and queens over creation. So the people of the kingdom are created to be in intimate relationship with God and to reflect God to all of the rest of creation. We see in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. As the Lord gets down into the dirt and he, with his hands, creates humanity and he breathes his life into humanity. 
And we're not only seeing the supremacy of God um, and, and the complete power of God to create living beings, but we're seeing as a people we belong to the creator. Not in a slavish or oppressed way, but as a good father and son-daughter relationship. But the moment sin enters the world, that intimacy is scattered. We see that in the next chapter. And instead of a knowing this intimacy with the Father, we're left wondering, who am I? What's my purpose? Who loves me? Am I valuable? Am I cursed? Before the curse, the people of the kingdom are blessed by God. Blessing and cursing is going to be a major theme we'll see throughout the Bible. But we see they're provided for in verse 29. Be fruitful, oh sorry. Uh, I give you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and you shall have them for food. They're placed in paradise. God places them in the garden in the east. They're instructed by God and the Lord commanded them. You shall surely eat of every tree but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he once said that God in in the garden is at once and out of the garden. He's at once the boundary and the center of our existence. All life comes from the creator king. True life only exists within the boundaries that he gives us. All else leads to death. So in your life, you may think the Bible, it calls us to do this oppressive stuff. It, it, is, it is hindering us from truly living. It, it is keeping us from true life. It, the, it, but in truth, it's keeping us from death. To hear and know the word of God is, is a blessing because it brings us true life. So we've been introduced to the king. We've been introduced to the people of the kingdom Now let's look at the place of the kingdom. All of creation we know is created by God. Uh, All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Therefore God is sovereign over all things. But we really start to see the kingdom idea form in the garden in the midst of creation. Now he doesn't plant the garden all over. He plants the garden in the east and says you go and spread the garden. It's planted by God. We see in verse 8, the Lord planted the Garden of Eden in the east. Nothing's lacking. There's trees of every kind. Rivers are flowing. All is well. It's very good. And God takes Adam. He places him in the garden. He gives him this command. Verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that it is on the face of the earth and every tree of the seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, we'll stop there. God commissions his people. He says, I've created you. I've created the garden. I've put you in the garden. Now I want you to go to the ends of the earth and make the rest of the world like Eden. 
I want you to expand my kingdom to the ends of the earth. You should store that away in your mind for Acts 1.8. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's talking to his disciples in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in, the, in Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the garden kingdom that was created by God, planted by God, was meant to become a global garden kingdom where all people would rejoice, all the world would flourish under God's reign. And we see echoes of that all throughout Scripture. Noah and his family are commanded to fill the earth. Abraham is going to produce a line that will bless all the nations. Jesus sends the disciples to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they go and make disciples who are to go and do the same thing. All reminiscent of the kingdom of God expanding outward. Never is the kingdom of God coming and replacing things. It's always as Jesus says, start small. You see, church, from the very beginning, the Lord has desired to use his kingdom people. He wants to use us. He created us to expand his kingdom. He, he saved us to expand his kingdom. We're his representatives on earth, made to know his glory and make his glory known. But too often, we are so worried and concerned about our own kingdoms, our own agendas, our own desires, then we don't even think about the kingdom of God. We don't even think about bringing others into the kingdom of God. We just want to get ours and get out of here. But that's not God's plan. His ways are much higher than our ways do you believe that? Do you trust the Lord in his plan? So we have the king. We have the people. We have the place. We see the rule of the kingdom. His rule is his word. He said over and over and over, let there be, and it was so. In a similar fashion, God, he gives humanity his commands. He tells us how we should live so that we could truly live. And he's, he's revealing to us, he's revealing the rule of the kingdom. It's established by his word. He tells Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply. He warns them in 16 and 17 of chapter 2. Don't, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that, for on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the authors of Scripture pick up on this all throughout. We see in Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2, and now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and, and do them. This is Moses talking to Israel before they go into the promised land. Do them that you may live. Do the rules and the statutes that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. We see John pick it up in a major way. Uh, let me finish reading what I wrote up here, or what, what is in Deuteronomy. You shall not add to the word that I command you or take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. 
We see the word as his rule. We see John pick it up. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is his rule. For those in the kingdom of God, his word instructs, as we saw. For Adam was to teach Eve what's going, what God told him. They were to teach their children, and so on and so forth, to the ends of the earth. So that God ruled by his word, and it would be made known through his representatives. Moses sees the beauty of this. And I think we miss this a lot of times, and, and I know the Israelites missed it. He says, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What great nation is there that his statutes and his rules are so righteous as to this law that I set before you today? Church, we have this precious gift in the written word of God. We, we miss that we have this precious, these wonderful statutes and rules are so righteous. They're perfect. They teach us the way to go, the way to live. We have to learn to love the word. That's why David says it's a lamp to my path and a light to my feet. Or I'm sure I got that wrong. Doesn't matter. You get the picture. So we have the king, we have, we have his place, we have his people, we see all of these things, we know his rule is by his word, and then we get all the way, humanity does really well, we get all the way to chapter 3, and the kingdom is corrupt. And you would just take those four things, the king, the people, the place, and the rule, and they're flipped on their heads. The king of the kingdom is, is rejected by Adam and Eve. They turn from him, they reject his rule, and they decide to rule their own selves. They exalt their desires into his place, they exalt themselves into his place, and they fall. The people of the kingdom and the image of God is distorted. So instead of ruling over God's creation, instead of reflecting God's glory and, and his mercy and his grace and his love, they become ruled by it. So they start to worship creation instead of the creator. We see in Romans, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God, his word. They exchanged what they knew was true for a lie. You see, the, you see how Paul's picking up the creation or the fall narrative there? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever, amen. Their perfect relationship with the king is now broken. Their relationship with humanity is now broken. Eve immediately blames Adam, or Adam immediately blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Their relationship or the reflection of the king is now selfishness and sin. Well, that's not a reflection. It's marred. The place of the kingdom is now cursed. 
instead of perfection, it produces thorns and thistles. They're no longer allowed to be in creation. They're kicked out of the garden. The garden is sealed off. The land is cursed. So in three chapters, we see how the kingdom of God, the foundation is laid, the pattern of the kingdom of God is laid out in Genesis 1 through 3. And we've also seen it scattered very quickly. And at that moment, the kingdom of God, when it's rejected, humanity is cast into the kingdom of this world where the ruler is Satan. And all of human history reflects these fallen human attempts to build their own kingdom. Think of the Tower of Babel. They try to build their own kingdom. They try to make themselves great. Apart from him trying to become kings and queens, apart from God, apart from his rule, apart from his reign, they want to be on top now. But praise God that's not the end of the story. Praise God that it doesn't end in Genesis 3. For by God's grace, he promises to redeem his people. In Genesis 3.15, he promises an offspring that's going to crush evil's head. And there's a split in humanity we see following right after that. We have those who are waiting for God to redeem his kingdom They walk with God. They look like God. They want to follow him. Not perfectly. And then they have those who reject his kingdom. Reject him as king. So I would ask you, where are you this morning? Is your life identified by, I'm the king. This is my place. These are my rules. Or is your life becoming more and more a pattern of the kingdom of God as designed by God, reflecting him, reflecting his glory? One leads to life, one to death. And Joshua would say, Joshua would say, choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that you promise to redeem your people. I thank you that you've placed Jesus on the throne. That he's making all things new. That he is saving. That he is sustaining his church and building his church. Lord, I pray that we see our role as as kingdom people. That we're not to just sit around, that we are to expand the kingdom. We are just as you asked Adam and Eve to uh, expand the garden. Lord, help us to look at the word and to live out what you call us to do by your mercy, by your grace, by the power of your spirit, Lord. We can't do this without you. This is all bad news without you. But I thank you that we have Christ. Lord, we praise you. We rejoice in your victory, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591. 
or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.